we started this series called Rhythm. And uh, from the very beginning of it, we, we established that there's a rhythm to which God created all these, everything. And there's a rhythm of which he asked all of us to live in. And we, we established that the rhythm that he established was this rhythm of I love you. And so when we could understand I love you, then we understood that I am loved. Then we could, the resounding song that would come from our lives is that we are loved. Right? And then the last couple of weeks, we've talked about this idea of work and rest. And then last week, we kind of talked about what does it look like when we rest well? What, is, what does that look like? And so we, we spent some time talking about the Sabbath and what the Sabbath looks like. And I think for many of us, it was a reshaping or reforming of what kind of that day looks like. And so if you haven't listened to any of those, I encourage you to go online. And I will make sure that all of them are up there. Because um, some of you already pointed that out, um, that they aren't. But... If you want to reach, or if you want to go back and listen to them again, and, and and just kind of begin to allow God to establish this rhythm in your life, because I think as we continue to move forward, and this is the thing that Gail and I keep talking about over and over, is that God is calling us to to create this rhythm, to live in this rhythm, so that we're not living stretched beyond our means, so they're not living beyond our means, so that we have margin in our life. So when God asks us to do stuff, we can do it. Why? Because we've we've we found ourselves kind of settling in in this beat that God has established for us to live in. How many of you guys um, grew up playing an instrument? See, everybody had their chance, you know. How many of you guys started on the recorder and drove your parents crazy? Okay, right? Okay, so you started on the recorder. Then in about fifth grade, they offered some new types of instruments. And you said, I want to play an instrument. How many played an instrument like that? Okay. So you know what it was like the first day that you stepped into that room and everybody is new, just like you, to playing that instrument, correct? I don't. I, I didn't have that ability. I didn't have that opportunity. I didn't get to do that. My parents actually said no. Now, as I, I'm older, I understand why they said no. Because the noise coming from practicing is a little bit on the shrill side, right? And you're like, yeah, okay, you might want to practice a little bit more, but why don't you practice in the basement and then we'll cover you with blankets, Okay? Because it's, it's that, that crazy, right? But how many of you guys ever been to maybe like an orchestra concert or something? And, and the, the experience is kind of something like this when it starts. Well, not the guy taking the picture, but, you know. You get all these sounds and everybody's doing their own thing. This is called the tuning, right? And so you've got one person playing this and you've got another person playing this. And if you're like me, you sit there and go, how could anything beautiful come from that? Correct? And then if you have that experience on an even deeper level, a more intimate level, and you have kids that play instruments, you get to hear what it sounds like when all of that comes together. And it sounds like... Right? harmony that Zeke's class decided to do and so you got one group playing this another group but really what you have is everybody playing whatever they want to play correct and so it doesn't sound the best but when as they get older you begin to see things progress right you're like hopefully or that band program or band director is fired right but literally that night we were locked into the auditorium in Ma- at Madison and we had to en- enjoy, um, I was looking for another E word, but I wasn't going to use that one. 
We had to enjoy the uh, musical accompaniment of the fifth graders and then the sixth graders. I said sixth graders. That was weird. And then you had the seventh and eighth grade band and orchestra. Or they had band. They didn't have the orchestra. And so, but what you saw is as they got older, they began to start to find a rhythm, right? And things in sixth grade got a little bit better, but not the greatest. And then you got to seventh and eighth, and you actually had something that sounded like it was supposed to be played together, right? If you remember back a few weeks ago, I talked about the experience of listening to Zeke's class play and like how there was somebody else just playing their own song. I'm like, I don't know if this kid was in the same rooms as they were practicing or if the kid even did practice. And he's like, hey, this makes a cool noise. You know, that could have been the whole part that he was playing. But the great, um, I'll, I'll say it this way, the great philosopher, comedian, banjo, playing, comedian, whatever. Steve Martin said this. He said, throughout my whole life, as a performer, I never played with a band. I've always played alone. So I was never required to stay in rhythm or anything. So it was a real different experience for me to start playing with a band. There were so many basic things for me to learn. So over the last few weeks, we've talked about what it looks like for you personally to live in the rhythm. But today, we're going we're gonna to wrap up these, these four weeks. And next week, we're going to jump back into who do you think you are. And we're going to start, and we're going to mess you guys up even more because we're not going to start where we, we're supposed to start according to your book. We're going we're gonna to flip-flop a few things. And we're going to start, and you'll understand why, we're going to start at I am gifted next week. And after we're done, you should understand this a little bit better. But here's the thing. When you play your own tune, and when you practice, and when you don't, aren't used to playing with other people, you can play whatever you want, right? You can play any song at any rhythm, and you can think you're the greatest musician in the world. But then, you begin to put other pieces into place... And you're required to fall into this rhythm together. And what happens? One of two things. Either you find out how really good you are. Or you find out how really bad you are. Right? But isn't that kind of true in life? You get married. You're playing one rhythm. Your wife's playing another rhythm. And then you come together in marriage. And it's like, are we playing the same song even? Right? But it's it's like life. With everything. You... You go to work, you're playing a different rhythm, your boss and your coworkers are playing something else. And throughout life and all these different experiences, you have to learn how to play together, unless you're a golfer or a tennis player, right? Like you have to learn what it means to play together. If you've played sports, you know this. You know if this person's not doing his job, the left tackle's not doing his job, the quarterback's what? Dead. Okay? And if you don't believe me, watch Joe Theismann get his leg snapped, right? If the left tackle is not doing his job, then you're a dead quarterback. So here's the thing. So as a church, as, a, as people, what does it look like for us to be in a rhythm together? I think Paul, Paul did a great job of, of kind of showing us this in Colossians 1. And today, I, was, I would say to you, Paul, your Bibles, but we're going to use the message. And so the translation that's going to be in front of you is, it, it would be similar, but We're going to use the message today because I think it paints the picture in the best possible way that we can paint it for all of us to understand what it looks like when all of us who were once playing a different song or on a different beat all come together. And then we're also going to look at what is the thing that brings us all together. So if you could, if you want to, um, you can turn there, but if you you have an iPhone or whatever, it's a message, and you can go to Colossians 1. 
Starting at verse 15, it says this. It says, we look at this sun and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels. Everything finds its, sorry, finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it all comes to the church, he organizes it and holds it together like the head does the body. Let's go back for a minute. He said everything, what, got started in who? In him. We talked about this from the very beginning. The basic rhythm, the basic beat that we are establishing, that God is establishing for our lives was started by him. And so if we can learn to live there, if we can learn to be right there, then everything else can be added into it. So if we look at our lives, and we look at our lives maybe in the context of our family, for instance, and we're living according to this beat that God has established, which is love, and we can remain there, then when we come together with our spouse, and we come together with our kids, and if they're living in that same rhythm, if they're living in that same idea of love, then everything's going to fit together. Why? Because the promise is that if we are all together in Christ, which if we're in Christ and we understand his love, then everything fits together. And it doesn't just stop there. It says that he, everything, we do, everything we do, everything we are, we find our purpose in that place. And so Paul is saying here, he's saying, so all this disjointed, all these different things that are all over the place, he's saying, hold on a second. We've got to understand where this starts and where it is. And everything starts right where he is. Right where he's established in his love. And so the first thing we see today is this. We see that we need to realize that he started it all and he's the reason for it all. Now think about that for a minute. He started it all and he is the reason for it all. It's the very thing that we said from the very beginning of this series. And I can't say it enough today. If we don't understand his love, then we're going to be thrown off rhythm. If we don't understand the fact that he loved us before we even made our first mistake on this earth, if we don't understand that, then we cannot possibly live in him and be who he's called us to be. Single, let alone as a whole body, let alone as a whole family, as a whole group of people. If we don't understand this idea that everything started in him and everything has a reason, everything starts, let me say this again, everything started and everything that has anything to do with him started in him and has a purpose and has a reason for its existence. As you read that context, as you read that scripture, I think many of us look at it and go, I love playing a single. I love being single. I love doing this how I want to do it and And so that's why this series has kind of set some of you at at odds. Because inside of you, you're going, I understand that, but I like the the rhythm that I'm in right now. I I, I love the idea of what God's trying to tell us, what he's trying to teach us, this idea of resting. I would love to rest, but you don't understand how much I need to work. Like work brings me some sense of meaning, some sense of satisfaction. And I would dare to say, that you don't even know God. Because the Bible is very clear when it says, be still and know what? That he is God. You see, when we can't find that place of rest, when we can't find that place of stillness, 
and we all we're doing is trying to find our purpose and trying to find our meaning in our job, in our kids, in all this stuff, it's all thrown out of whack. As college students, as we're pursuing your, your next op- opportunity or the next thing that you're, you're studying for, it's like if we don't understand what it means that all of our identity, everything of who we are is in Him and not in what we're going to become, physical therapist, a teacher, whatever, then we're off. Because everything starts and finds its reason in Him. And so if we don't understand this here, all this isn't going to make sense. Why I'm a doctor isn't going to make sense. Why I'm a teacher isn't going to make sense. And we're going to find ourselves disgruntled, discouraged, and we're never going to do anything of worth or value. Why? Because we don't know the reason. And the reason we find out when we're just still and we know who God is. So, if we're going to develop rhythm together, we need to realize that it all started. Sorry, let me say Realize that he started it all and he is the reason for it all. The second thing we see is in the scripture in in Colossians 1. And it's starting back at verse 18. Now this is a point that I want you to really focus in on with me for a few minutes. It says, he was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He was supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there. Towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is he. So rooming that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. How many of you are an only child? Anybody? Put your hands up. These are all spoiled people, okay? They don't know how to work together with people, okay? I'm just joking, but... <laughs> Thank you. When, you have, when it's all you all the time, it's very hard to see that there's space for anybody else, right? Think about this. In the context of everything, maybe you, maybe you work alone. Maybe you work from home, and so when you're alone all the time... It's like there's no other world, right? There's nobody else that exists in this world except for me. But it's opposite of what God is saying here. He's saying, God, with God, there's no only child. There's room for everything and everybody. He's saying, so spacious, so roomy is here. And if we don't understand this right now, then the rest of the context of the scripture is not going to make any sense. So as we're looking at what does it look like to be in rhythm together, we have to understand that there is a lot of room in him. And so if we look at the next scripture, we see this. It says, not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, Adam and, or animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. Here's the thing. You and I, need to stay in tune with Christ. And what we need to realize is this. We need to realize that there's lots of space in him. There's space for everybody. There's space for the most broken person that you can imagine. And that's the beauty of this place. That's the beauty of the picture of the church. Is that all of us can come from all kinds of different backgrounds, situations, family situations, work situations. We can come from different um, stories growing up. And we can come together and we can be assured of this one thing. There's plenty of room. 
There's plenty of room for your story. There's plenty of room for who you are. Why? Because Christ made it possible. And so when we stay in tune with Christ, what we see is this. We see that we are more able to give. Why? Because we're abiding in him. Okay? You're wondering why I'm doing this. I'm not just dancing. You know? Okay? It was the idea of the golf swing or the semicircle, where the more we rest, the more we play. The more we abide, the more fruit, right? And it's that kind of that golf swing. So the more that we do these things, the more we understand who we are and the more able we are to be those things. So let me say this. So when you refuse to give or become selfish, you find yourself what? Out of rhythm or out of tune. It goes against what God is saying in his word. If you want to be more in tune with him, give more. Give yourself away more. Get away from the selfish tendencies that we have and begin to give of ourselves. If you want to be who, all who God's called you to be and you want to remain in Christ, maybe it looks like this for your family. Maybe you've got to get to a place as, your, as a husband and wife where you're living in tune with Christ not out of tune with each other. Now, here's a, here's a beautiful part of it. I think sometimes marriages kind of look like this. One person stands up to play, right? And this person's in tune, and then everybody else stands up because they don't like what he's playing, right? Isn't that true? Isn't that kind of true to our lives? That maybe one of us is in tune with Christ, and then the rest of the family is fighting against the tune that we're playing. Maybe one of us is sitting there going, I'm fighting for this, I'm fighting for our families, I'm fighting for our families to remain in his love and be, and be grateful for everything we have. But the other person over here is going, no, I want this, I want that. And all of a sudden, it's like pushing this wedge and it's pulling us further and further apart. Why? Because when you're out of tune and someone else is in tune, it doesn't sound right. All you have to do is listen to a fifth grade band concert. And you understand that picture all too well. But here's the idea. The difference between being in tune and being out of tune is often who's conducting the song. Because a good conductor can look at you and go, yeah, you're off. Right? You need to bring it up a little bit. Or they can look at you and go, you're too slow. You need to pick up the tempo a little bit. And he can get you back on tempo. So I guess my question would be for you and I is, who's conducting the song that you're living out? Because some of us are finding ourselves in places and playing songs that you and I were never meant to play. You see, we need to realize that there's all kinds of space in him. And there's all kinds of room for all the different rhythms and beats that each of us play. But we need a conductor that can bring everything together. And the Bible tells us that that's what Christ did. He took all the dislocated, broken pieces. And the Bible says that he did what? He brought them all together the cross. He was a great conductor. He saw that the song was broken. He saw that it was all offbeat. And he said... Stop. Let's bring this together. 
And he brings each part in as they need to be brought in. And he, uh, overall, what you begin to see is this song begins to play out. And it's a song that's beautiful. And it's a song that only he could put together because he knows how to best incorporate you into the song. Can I tell you the hardest part about being a pastor? Rather than being in any other industry in the world and leading is that you have to deal with a lot of broken people. And you also have to deal with a lot of people that think they're in tune and know how to play the song really well, but yet are completely off. And you have to be able to understand that God made space for all of them. So no matter how crabby and how ornery they might be, there's space for them here and they have a place to play. No matter how much they think they know everything, there's a place for them in this, it's just helping them understand that it's not for their own song to be played and for them to lead the song, but it's for them to fall into the song that God is creating in and through our lives. You see, I think sometimes we as believers, if you call yourself a believer, I think many times we can fall into that place where like, we know it. We know the scripture, we know the truth, we know all these things and and we're playing this song, we're playing it oh so well, but as soon as someone comes in that may not know the song too well or they're playing just kind of a different rhythm, but it falls in, you, you don't like it because it's not the way it was supposed to be. This is a song we're playing and there's no room for any other parts. I like just all trumpets, right? But you've got to include the trombones, right? And the drums, and the bass instruments, and I don't know, because I'm not a musician, right? But there's tons and tons of different parts to be played. And there's tons and tons of instruments that are, willing to, are waiting to be used, and we just sit there and go, yeah, we don't need that, we just need trombones. I think that's kind of the curse of where we're at as a church family. You and I need to create space so that God can bring together the song that he's wanting to bring together and he can bring pieces in that you never thought would blend in and they blend in. And you can sit back in amazement and wonder, go, wow, God, I never imagined you could do that. Yet God's going, I'm the one that created it all. Everything started in me. I understood how this was going to sound and that was going to sound. And so when I heard that, I could bring it together and I could fit all the pieces together the way that they were supposed to be. In Colossians, he continues on. And he talks about just that, that space. So as a church, just for a minute, as a church, what does it look like? We're going to talk about these more next week and we're going to talk about how when we talk about I'm gifted, you fall into each of these things. But as a church... Here's what I think we're called to create. We're called to be a part of. The first one is this. It's a thriving environment. A thriving environment is basically this. We cultivate a thriving environment that calls people to join God in the redemption of all things by developing a strong discipleship ethos. A thriving. Are things moving? Are things continuing to change? Are they continuing to move forward? Are we continuing to reach more and more people because we have these things in place, because we believe that God can redeem and restore all things. 
That's what a thriving environment looks like. The second is this, a liberating environment. Cultivate a liberating environment that dares people to embody a holistic gospel. Helping people experience liberation from personal and social sins by forming spirit-transforming communities. Now, I know these probably won't make a ton of sense right now, but here's what I want to tell you. Next week, you've got some homework that you're going to do this week, okay? It's not hard. It'll take you about 10 minutes, but it'll help you, okay? But this liberating environment is just one where there's space. There's space for people that love these kind of environments, that love like helping people and calling people out of what they're in. There's space for that. There's space for those people to be that kind of person, right? To holistically bring about these things that are there instead of like constantly looking at a program to change it. That's not going to happen. The third one is this. It's a welcoming environment. Some of you are like, okay, I understand this one. A welcoming environment that invites people to bless their neighbors and be redemptive agents in their vocation. You and I, no matter what you think, are meant to be in tune when we walk into our offices or into our schools every day. What does that look like? It means you know exactly what needs to happen there in order for God to be alive and well in that place. And what needs to happen is for you to be who you're supposed to be. To understand how you're gifted, how you're wired, so that you can watch God's kingdom come into that school. So you can watch God's kingdom come into that workplace. So that you can watch God's kingdom invade your home. Right? Fourth thing is this, is a healing environment. A healing environment is... You cultivate a healing environment in which people learn to embody the ministry of reconciliation and cultivate a life-giving spirituality in God's new family. Right now, we have, I think, around six different people going through wounded. And I can tell you, that's what we've done. By doing wounded, by doing ministries like this, we're creating space for people to find healing from those things that have so long kept them in bondage. I had this thought this week. I, I was telling Katie, I, I'm pretty, like, ignorant to think that God can't deliver people. And I'm pretty ignorant to think that God can't, like, redeem and restore people. And again, God can't, um, like, do things that we could never imagine. Because what I read in the Bible in Genesis and Exodus is this story that God's painting. And we see in Exodus, as we get into there, this group of people that were in bondage, that were in slavery. And there was... Like the Bible said, there's probably millions, right? With women and children and all this stuff. And God does what? He delivers them from Egypt. So I'm pretty dumb in my mindset to think that if God can take a lab or say million plus people and he can deliver them from slavery and bondage, can he not do that with one Can he not take my life and completely deliver me from the things that hold me captive? And I think if we are all honest, a lot of us are just like me. Where we read these things and we're like, yeah, well, that was good. He did that. But yeah, he can't do it with me. He did it for a million people. (laughs) But he can't do it for one. Hmm. Last one is this, a learning environment. Cultivating a learning environment where people immerse themselves in God's narrative and engage in praxis and future-oriented living. It's 
this idea of a learning environment where we have people that are teaching and people that are learning and they're growing in their walk with God. Around this set values that we call the Bible, around these things that we call God's word. We need to continue to create space so that people can come into these environments and they can find the healing, the restoration, all those things that are needed. So that they can come in and they can feel incredibly welcomed when they walk into this place. And so welcome that they say, I need to get back here. So that they walk into your home and they feel this sense of like, this is a safe place. I don't feel judged. I don't feel looked at weird. This is just a safe place for me to be. And I can tell you this, we've seen glimpses of it here and there. But I can't wait till God unveils it on such a grander scale. Why? Because that means more for more people. That means more healing, more freedom, more deliverance for people that are caught up in bondage. Because I know each of us have stories and each of us are just like Paul said, the broken, dislocated pieces. And God takes them and brings them all together. In Colossians, Paul continues on and he says this. He says, you yourselves are a case study of what he does. At one time, all of you had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you got. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together, whole and holy in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in the bond of trust, constantly tuned in to the message, careful to not be distracted or diverted. I like music. Actually, you can ask Chris. I probably like music way too much. Right? You can ask my wife. I love listening to music. And I'm so quick, and I think this is just my person, and this is how God's wired me. I'm so quick to move to the next thing. It's the way God, you'll hear this next week. It's the way God's wired me. But in my relationship with him, understanding his love is the foundation and everything stays on it. So the beat remains the same. I just need to allow him to bring that beat into the the complete song that he's creating. You see, because the third thing that we, we realize is this. That Christ has brought everything back together. In just a moment, we're going we're gonna to take up, we're going to take communion. There's no better picture of what Christ has done than this. It's like we had that orchestra tuning, and then all of a sudden, God brings all of us together, and he brings us all back under this common idea of the cross being the thing that would redeem and restore all of us. And so what sounded all everywhere and out of sorts all of a sudden becomes a song that all of us are playing a part in and it's something that is moving people. We thought we were just all trumpets yet we discovered that no, God has a trombone and he has a clarinet and he has a flute and he has a violin and he has a cello and he has all these pieces and he brings them all together and the only reason he could bring it all together was because Christ came to make it all possible. And when Christ came and he didn't just stop with the cross, he rose from the dead and then came Pentecost. 
And God brought it all together and he gave us the Holy Spirit as our counselor, the one that's going to walk us through, the one that's going to help us understand the rhythm that God has established. And as that rhythm continues on, as that song continues to play, more and more pieces come into it and it begins to be a symphony. Something that all of us are playing and all of us are a part of and something that is moving people towards him. And it all happened because Christ was willing to die for us on the cross. But you and I have to get to a point where we realize that all of us are brought back together because of Christ. Because he was willing to give. Because he wasn't willing to be selfish and just go, you know what, this is getting too much. Can't do anymore. But he went to the full extent of being nailed to the cross to die for you and I. And then being laid in a grave and rising from the, gra- the grave in the third day. And then spending time, as the Bible says, with his disciples in this period of time. And then saying to them, stay here until you receive what I promised you. And the Bible records on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and everything changed. The song came back together. The song that you and I were meant to be a part of began to be played. And all of a sudden, this band of misfits, there was about 120, became 3,000. You talk about having to figure out how to fit things together. How does the church go from 120 to 3,000 and not fall apart? It's because everything was brought together through Christ and in Christ. So next week, we told you we get to go back into who do you think you are. And we told you at the beginning of this, this wasn't going to be a series that we couldn't do. We had to do it so that we could understand all that Christ has for us in the weeks and months to come. And so today, we thought probably the best thing that we could do is bring us all together around the table to partake in the elements, to remember. Now, obviously, remember it means so that we don't get amnesia so that we don't forget what Christ did for you and I. Because each and every one of us has a part to play. And each and every one of us brings that part to the foot of the cross. And the cross brings it all together. Look around you for a minute. Look at all the stained glass. Is it one piece? Is it one piece? Yes, it is. It's one piece that is made up of many different parts. And see, what we see is that when God takes all these broken, dislocated pieces and he puts them together, he can create something incredibly beautiful. It all starts in Christ. So today the worship team's going to come and they're going to they're going to sing as we come to receive our elements. But today here's what I want you to do. I want you to come get the juice. I want you to come get the the wafer and, and I want you to take them back to your seat for a minute. And as they sing these songs, I want us to reflect on what it looks like to understand what he did for you and I. And then today, we're going we're gonna to end a little bit different. We're going to take it together. We're going to remember today so that we don't all forget. We're going to remember what Christ did for you and I. 
So what does it mean to be in rhythm together? It means that you and I bring all of our broken, dislocated pieces to the foot of the cross, and we find all kinds of order. We find everything that comes together and flows together in Him. And it creates something incredibly beautiful. Let's pray. God, today, we thank you for your word and how powerful your word is to change us. We thank you that today, through this picture of an orchestra, through playing instruments, that we can understand our part that we play in serving you. Being a part of your family. Playing the song, being a part of the song that you're creating. God, I pray that you would challenge each of us to continue to make more and more room. And how we make more and more room is by playing the piece that we're meant to play. Not trying to be all things to all people, but being who we're supposed to be so that there's space for other people to be who they're supposed to be. God, I thank you for the cross. And I thank you for the resurrection. And God, I thank you for Pentecost. Why? Because you brought the song back together. And it's a beautiful song. It's a song that once everybody begins to understand and they begin to listen and tune their ears into, everybody wants to be a part of. Because it's something that has momentum. It's something that moves. And so today, God, help us to remember where the song began. Help us to remember where the song got broken. Help us to remember where the song got brought back together. In Jesus' name.